Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. Heavenly Father, great and glorious you are, for you have made this day for us. This is the time that you have ordained that we could gather in fellowship with one another, that we could sharpen iron that we could fellowship with you collectively and praise you and lift you up. So we plant the sword of your presence into this meeting and protect it and guard it and cherish the time that you have given us. We apply the blood of Yeshua to the meeting, to our spirit, souls, and body. May you be a hedge of protection round about us. We loose the angelic host to stand guard round about us in all realms and dimensions. We cover ourselves with the blood of Yeshua, our family, our friends, those around us. We stretch out the tent poles of this meeting and ask that you would give us peace. May your presence be in the center. May it be like a a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. For you are building a house of which we are and we thank you for your patience and your kindness with us that you will never leave us or forsake us but you will be with us till the end forever and ever so father i extend my my life and my realm over this meeting and charge it with your name yahuwah jireh yahuwah shama yahuwah nisi yahuwah rafa yahuwah tizi canoe yahuwah makadesh yahuwah Yah Rohini, Yahweh Shua, Yahweh Shalom, Yahweh Hosinu, Yahweh Isus, Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh Gabor, Yahweh Saboth, Yahweh Ka'ana, Yahweh Milkama, Yahweh Abir, Yah Yahweh, El Shaddai, El Elyon, El Olam, El Roy, El Eloi Adonai, Yeshua Mashiach. We interface with the realm and the spirit that you have given us, the spirit of Yahuwah, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of you. We also interface this realm and this meeting with your heart, the heart of Yeshua, the bosom of the Father, El Shaddai, for we want to be heart-to-heart connected to you today. We ask that the living letters would come in and bring revelation to the word and cause the frequency of this meeting to be the frequency of heaven. For we know that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the same in the beginning was with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Yeshua, you are the word. For the testimony of Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. So we invite you into our hearts to sit at the center of the throne of our hearts and sit at the center of the throne of this meeting. We invite your presence to come richly in. And we declare this place holy, for this is holy ground. And may we reverence your presence with holiness and with honor and with weight. Father, we place on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the preparation of the gospel of shalom on our feet, the shield of faith to quench the fiery arrows of the enemy, a helmet of salvation, and as our swords, your mighty word, and we're going to bathe those in heaven. 
the cloak of zeal, the garments of vengeance, and the armor of light. We thank you that you have given us all of these things and all of these things to do righteousness and justice into the earth. So this day, collectively, we say that the earth is yours and you have given dominion to us. And we take it back from all of our fathers and our fathers' fathers and the generations before us that have not taken up this mantle. And we place on the mantle today and say that the earth is yours and you have given it to us. So we take it back. We sever all the agreements, covenants, and oaths that were made with the enemy to give up the earth with the sword of the spirit. For Zion is ready to be birthed. And the birthing process will not stop until it is done. For your word says so, and so it is. May the conversation be rich with revelation, with power, with anointing. May your word come alive. I bless everybody's spirit, soul, and bodies here. And I ask that you would take them by the hand and show them what you want them to see today that you would speak into their ears and may they hear what you want them to hear today. That you would touch their bodies and that they would feel what you want them to feel today. We thank you that you have made us to be seated with you in heavenly places, that you have given us all riches in abundance in heavenly places. May they be made manifest unto the earth now. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Isaiah 66 is where we'll start. And have a couple thoughts to to get going. Uh, First of all, I know this is a challenging time for all of us in many, many ways. And and I keep saying this over and over again. There is pressure around us all over the place. It It is manifesting in our work, in our families, in our own lives. Uh, it's getting more intense. And the, the place of the eye of the storm in our peace seems to get smaller and smaller, but it is a good place to be. Keep trying to find that place. Keep trying to be in that place. And if anything is causing you not to be there in terms of any uh, information, any conversations, now's the time just to kind of remove those things and almost isolate. It's not, a, it's not bad to just go into isolation to a degree, just so that you can hear his words so you can get back out. So we're not supposed to be in isolation. I'm not saying isolation forever for a long period. I'm talking about get into that place where it's just you and him. And really make sure that you're, you're, you're powered up by that and you're satisfied and you're overflowing in his presence. So I, I have been uh, wrestling with the last couple weeks of I've had enough of people that aren't getting this. I've had enough. Come to my end. And I'm having a conversation with a good friend of mine that's been a believer for years. We've known each other for years. And he kind of was feeling the same way, but in a different way that he just felt isolated even in his own home. That even this close family around him wasn't getting it. And I realized when he was telling me this, oh no, If my attitude is like James and John, the sons of thunder, when they were still walking in immaturity and said, Jesus, 
can we just call down fire from heaven now? Because you don't know what spirit you guys are of. And that's kind of what hit me when I was, I was talking to my friend is, wow, if I said in my heart, I'm done, that also meant that his family would be done. If I called fire from heaven down now, if that was Yahuwah's will, now his family wouldn't make it. We have to keep with the patience and keep being diligent. We have to keep being diligent. We have to keep being patient. We have to keep lifting people up. So that was something that I needed to repent from because I was getting frustrated. And I, I go through these seasons where I'm just done. <laughs> but then he, that conversation really brought me back and said, no, I have to repent from that. Because if I'm done and, if, and it, if that is God's will, then his family is done because they're not ready. They're still in slumber. They're still in deception. So we can't have that attitude. I can't have that attitude. So that, that I wanted to share. And what's happening is I'm seeing clearer and clearer, and we're going to see this in Isaiah 66, how that the heart must, is the door, of course, but it, it must be willing for revelation, just like it must be willing to let Yeshua in. The heart must be willing for revelation. The heart must be willing to let your spirit come forward and be in alignment. The heart is the convergence. And Dan talked about this. It's the convergence between spirit, soul, and body. So Dan's talked about the convergence of the spirit, soul, and body being the heart. And, we're, and keep that in mind because in Isaiah 66, we're going to get into a lot of that. So that, that, that's one thought about just re repentance and people whose hearts are not willing to open up to revelation, even in the world, even if they're not believers, are not going to not going to be able to see and not going to be able to hear. And we have to continue to pray that through. Um, something else I want to share with you. Proverbs 25, 28. Really interesting passage that uh, I, I came across the other day and hit me in a totally different way. Proverbs 25, verse 28. <clears throat> he that has no rule over his spirit is like a city broken down and without walls. He that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down and without walls. This is tying our spirit person with our city. If you are not building up your spirit and engaging in your spirit, it's connected to the, the state of your city. Your city could be in mothballs. It could be broken down. It could be run over. The lights could be off. The walls could be broken down. This is also why if you're not building up your spirit, you, you could be running around poor and naked in spirit. Well, same thing with your city. Because your city is part of your essence. A city is not something that he's, Yeshua said, oh, you know what? I'm just going to go away. And if I don't go away, I'm going to build up mansions for you guys and come back. And this is all for you. It's not just something to have. It is part of who you are. 
This is much more important than just having a place to go. This is made up of your essence and his essence. So it really is much more than a location. It's of you. So if your spirit is not engaged and it's broken down and it's hurt, your city will also reflect that. So I went into the, the uh, and I, I, I go in there all the time. I go hang out. This is where I get revelation. This is where I get insight. All kinds of things happen. Um, so to this past week, a new thing opened up to me. And I've tapped on that a little bit, but this has got blown way up. I went into the creation room. And the creation room, I realized this kind of as I was going through it. It was the eye of God. And it was, it was like you could see all of creation, all in different realms and dimensions as you were in the room, like through his eye. And there was paintings and drawings and designs. And you could smell everything and feel everything and hear everything. And he said, this is where I created everything with you. So that's part of now what, and, and that kind of correlates with what I've been engaging in lately in, in my walk and what he's, he's show, showing me in the spirit. So as he's walking through, my point is with Proverbs 25, 28, as he's building you up and walking you through things and engaging in your spirit, your city is going to correlate. And just like there's going to be bondage, then your city's going to be bondage. Things are going to be tied up. So you, this is a great opportunity to kind of go back and forth. If you're struggling with things in the spirit, you might get some revelation in your city that might help you free up from bondage, access some points. Really interesting proverb here. So I wanted to share that. Something for you guys to explore. Um, Last thing, deliverance can happen overnight. And since we're coming on to the time that is typically commonly thought about as the first month in God's calendar, uh, we think about the Exodus, the deliverance happened overnight. Put your mindset in Israel during Egypt. They saw plague after plague after plague. And don't you think after each plague, they thought, oh, this is it. We're going to get out of here. I think I heard Moses say that. Didn't he? I heard, there was rumors about Pharaoh saying, no, I'm not going to let your people go. And Moses said, yes, I'm going to. I want you to let my people go. This is it. We got the frogs. They're going to let us go. <laughs> we got the lice. They're going to let us go. Oh, no. We got blood in the water. Surely we get to get out of here. At some point in time, Israel probably was getting to the point of, eh, yeah, another sign and wonder, but we're still stuck. <laughs> yeah, God's showing up. We're still stuck and we're still here. And then that last night, instantly, overnight, they're delivered. As watchmen, we have to be in the same position in this season and not get weary in well-doing and not get complacent in the miracles of God in our lives every day. 
because there is going to be something that is bam, it's going to happen and then overnight will be delivered. This is a repeated theme throughout scripture. So I wanted to share that with you as encouragement. Don't think, ah, oh, you did something great again, but this wasn't it. I'm expecting something else. Don't, don't, don't get in that mindset. Always be living in the present. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Isaiah 66. This is the finale of Isaiah and his revelation of Zion. We're going to be talking about being in the spirit. Talking about spiritual things. This is going to make a lot more sense if you have been walking with bride and that journey and the core revelation that Dan brings about spirit, soul, and body. This is going to make a lot more sense. We're going to talk about activating and operating the spirit. And you kind of already heard that a little bit in my opening thoughts. So for those of you that are, are new to bride, and I would strongly suggest going to the bride ministry Institute with some of the courses about the human spirit, uh, some of Dan's previous teachings on the human spirit, his book, Sheep Nations, contains things on the human spirit because we're going to launch off from there because I think Isaiah is launching off from there. So Isaiah 66, verse 1. Isaiah 60. I'm, I'm really excited about Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, verse 1. <clears throat> Thus says Yahuwah, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? That sounds pretty interesting since he's like rebuking Isaiah. Isaiah is rebuking everybody by the spirit. Or is this a rhetorical question? Or is this an encouraging question? I mean, wh where is Yahuwah coming from? with these questions to us he makes a statement heaven and earth heaven my throne earth my footstool and then where's this house we touched on this a little bit last time but i, I want to hit on this a little bit more so he just revealed in isaiah 65 that there is going to come a time when the, he the existing heavens and earth will pass away and new heavens and earth will exist. We also hit, hinted a little bit that the heavens and the earth are sentient beings and the manifestation of them or the garment of them that we see on the earth and in the heavens today is a garment. That's not actually who they are. Actually, in the spirit, the heavens are the heavens and the earth is the earth in the spirit. They have a spirit being as well. So getting new garments of new heavens and new earth is actually going to be joyful for the heavens and the earth. And God's saying this current heavens and the earth being my throne and being my footstool. Why are you guys worried about this? You actually want to do something different. You want to make a house for me. So the millennial earth is going to be much better than the current earth. And the new earth is going to be much better than the millennial earth. Because the earth is a sentient being just putting on different garments, different wineskins. We talked a little bit about this. 
So why are we so, con oh my goodness. So now we're getting, <laughs> we were about to hit in the religion piece. Why do you think religious people are constantly building houses of worship all over the place? We drive, so we live in Milwaukee and you, when you drive through Milwaukee downtown, there's this really awesome scene as you're passing over this long highway bridge, you can see miles of Milwaukee. And there's one section as you're going over this bridge that it's steeple, 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 steeple. Why are you building houses for me? The heavens are my throne. The earth is my footstool. So I'm having this conversation um, in a time of intercession with Casey and Joe. And part of the conversation that we were having is we need to train our souls to not interpret what our spirit is saying or doing incorrectly. So when our spirit gets engaged in something, it then goes through our soul and our soul is processing it. I can't get it. And it comes out as something totally different. It's like a black box. This thing that's a, a hundredfold revelation goes through a black box, our soul, and then it comes out as if it's a hundredfold, it comes out too. Because that's about as all, that's the only thing our soul could process was just two of the hundred. It comes in with a thousand colors and our soul processes it and it comes up with one color. So there is this massive funnel that's coming in from the spirit and then it gets processed through our soul and our soul is trying to deal with all of this in 3D land and processes it and it outcomes and it's incorrect. This happens all the time. Therefore, we need to train our souls to not interpret the things of the spirit incorrectly. Think about John and the spirit in the book of Revelation. He's seeing things that don't make any sense. I mean, you got a scorpion tail and you got uh, wings on this creature and this creature bites like this with a lion. It's got a women's hair and it's got weird feet and, he just let his soul allow the spirit to come in and put it right on the paper. He didn't try to filter it. We do this all the time in the spirit. We're in the spirit. Mm, I don't understand it. So maybe it means that it's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe that's not really what God said. That can't mean that I have a throne on top of the entire earth. That doesn't make sense. I think that's my pride speaking. My soul just reinterpreted what the spirit said. We do this all the time. This is what God is getting at here. You guys don't understand. I'm trying to get, and this is what God's speaking to us. I'm trying to get you guys to understand even heaven's my throne, the earth is my footstool, that's about as big as you can, a scope you can see. That's even too small for who I am. But so that you guys can kind of get it, the whole heaven I sit on, 
and the earth, I just rest my feet. So why are you guys building me a house that's going to make me even smaller? That is a incorrect interpretation of the spirit by our soul. That's what he's getting at. So another kind of thought in this. So I'm in the spirit in prayer and I'm usually hanging out my kind of go-to place. If it's not in my, my mansion city, it is before the throne. That's where I just, I hang out there almost all the time. I'm just hanging out. We're talking. Revelation is coming off almost like uh, the, the angels crying, holy, holy, holy. That's kind of where I'm at almost all the time in prayer. And then every once in a while, I said, okay, go do this. And boom, I go out. And this, this happened uh, a couple weeks ago. I go out in the spirit. Um, I'm with a host, uh, a whole heavenly host. We go out and do some things uh, in, into the earth realm. And I stopped and I said, so do I actually leave the throne? I mean, I understand my spirit is multidimensional, multi-realms, but when I go and do these things, do I leave the throne? And he corrected me and said, no, Todd, that's an incorrect interpretation. You never leave the throne before me. When you go out in the spirit to do things, you are always before me. You're, that's an example of you incorrect, incorrectly in misinterpreting what's going on and what you're seeing. So as you are doing these things, you are also doing it from under the shadow of my wings simultaneously. You're, I'm just allowing you to see one component versus another component at different times because you can't handle in your own soul mind that doing you're doing all of these things simultaneously. So even that's an incorrect interpretation of what's actually happening. From the throne, I am commanding the hosts, even though I have this visual of I am with the host doing these things. I never left the throne. So it's an incorrect interpretation. It's both. It's all. So dialing it back to verse one, our perspective of Yahuwah is limited. This is what he's really getting at in verse one. It's limiting to him. What's the first commandment say? The first commandment is worship him and him alone and do not make an image of him. So when we make an image of him, we are limiting him. When we make a house for him, we are limiting him. That's why this whole phrase about the ecclesia is, is the body. It's a gathering. All we're doing is we're getting together to worship him, and to worship him is everywhere, anywhere. And when we start to put things in our mind, oh, was Jesus white? Was Jesus black? Was he six feet tall? Was he 5'10"? No, everything is limiting. Everything, the image of him being a baby, and you have that locked in your mind, and the image of him being on the cross and suffering, having that locked in your mind. These are all images that limit the scope of who he is, which is unlimited. This is what he's getting at in Isaiah 66.1. 
do we create a likeness? So I want to get to something now off of that. Where does this come from? It comes from our imagination. From our imagination. We construct in our imagination, which is sometimes tapped into the soul interpreting the spirit incorrectly, constructs that then become reality. told you we're, we're only in verse one we're launching in the things in the spirit in isaiah 66 because this is where he's starting so let's talk a little bit about this word imagination second corinthians chapter 10 todd where are you getting this from second corinthians chapter 10 you guys are all familiar with this but we're going to dive into the word imagination second corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 Starts right off. Uh, verse, I'll back up verse four. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in Yahuwah to the pulling down of stronghold. So a stronghold is now going to be named. Verse five, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse five. Casting down imaginations is in the King James. Sometimes it's translated reasonings. That is from the Greek word from Strong's 3053, logismos. Now catch this, the root word of imaginations in the Greek, logismos, is logos. The word. The word is the root of imagination. So our imagination builds off the word. We know that the word is God. We know that by his word, all things are held together through his word, for his word, which means the word, and you get it down into science, by sound, the smallest component that holds all things together is a sound or a frequency, the word, which means the root of an imagination is a word. Therefore, what word is the foundation of your imagination. When you think about God, what's the foundational word that has built up the imagination? The imagination can be for good. It can be a flow of the spirit creating and cultivating that word so that you understand and start to build revelation with God, about God, for God. Or that word can come through your soul. It can come through the enemy. It can come through the world. It can be your soul doing an incorrect interpretation of God. So now all of a sudden you have an incorrect word. Oh, well, so what does the enemy say? Or what does the parable say? The enemy planted seeds, false words into your garden. So now all of a sudden you're creating an imagination off of that. Let's keep going with this word imagination. It's going to come even more clear. So that's the, the Greek. Now let's look into the Hebrew for imagination. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Okay. 
Chapter 6, verse 18. Proverbs 6, 18. A heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief. So our hearts can devise imaginations that are wrong. That word in the Hebrew in Strong's is 4284, makash Listen to the definition of this. This is for imaginations right here in Proverbs. It means texture, a machine, a device. So when the word comes in, whether it is the word of God or another word from the enemy, from the soul, from the world, a device, a texture, a machine is built upon it. So we know back in Genesis 1 that God spoke and everything was in existence because the word spoke or the word in Hebrew, debar, actually is not only a verb, it is a noun. It has substance. So when we take in a word and build an imagination upon it in our soul, it has become a substance. It goes back to the city. You're actually building components of your city, both good or bad. You're building components in the earth, both good or bad, just by your imagination. Oh, my goodness. This is how powerful you guys are. This is why Paul is saying you need to take every thought captive. And you cast down those vain imaginations because they have been built up structures, mountains in the heavens, in the earth. And they're about all these things. It could be a structure of false gods because you are putting an image about God that shouldn't be there. Oh, we don't do that. Oh, what did Aaron do? He built up a false construct, an imagination based on a word of a calf and said, that is Yahuwah. We do this all the time. Christine brought up timeline from the beginning. We do this with timelines all the time. Oh, these are the plans I have. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. This is the time I'm going to do it. Oh, by the way, and this is when Trump's going to do this. And this is when this is going to happen. And blah, 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 blah. That's a false imagination that needs to be torn down. What word was that based on? Let's take another look at another word for imagination. There is another Hebrew word used for imagination. Genesis 6. Check this one out. You got to get a feeling. Isaiah, by, um, by tradition, I'll say tradition, but maybe there's a little bit more truth to it. He was sawed in half. I wonder if he, this was like his last message and they said, okay, Isaiah, we've had enough of you. We're just sawing you in half. Because <laughs> this is what he's getting at here in Isaiah 66. <laughs> Genesis chapter six, verse five. So we know that this is when the fallen angels come down, have sex, have offspring, such a mess, the flood has to come. So Isaiah six, verse five 
And Yahuwah saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was also evil continually. Now that word imagination is also kind of translated a little bit different. And they're trying to hint at this. It's uh, what they're also sometimes saying is purposes, desires, and devices. This is what the Hebrew says. It's Strong's 3336, which is yester, It means conception, listen to this, or frame. Frame. An imagination is a frame, like you're building something on a frame. That Hebrew word's root comes from Strong's 3335, Yasar. Listen to this squeezing into a shape or molding like a potter with clay. So we have the Greek root of imagination is logos, which we also know is not just a verb, it's a noun. We have the two uses of imagination, two different Hebrew words that are both pointing to the, this texture, machine, device, frame, or creating a shape. So what we have in it with imagination is when the word comes in, we can create a construct in our souls, in our minds, that then becomes reality in the spirit, which then becomes reality into the earth, all through the imagination. That's why it's so important to control what goes into your eyes and ears. So if you take in things that are wicked, if you hear things that are wicked, unless you are diligent and protective of your heart, that seed will come in and an imagination will start to form. And now all of a sudden you have a construct. And then you start to believe in that construct. You start to speak that construct and now it becomes reality. So going all the way back to the beginning of Isaiah 66.1, the earth is my footstool, the heavens is my throne. Why are you building me a house? Why are you trying to create an imagination of me? You are going to limit my power in who I am. We do this all the time. Isaiah 66, verse 2. So important. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Why is this so important? Because we are about to enter in a time that as the remnant body, we are going to have to walk in greater holiness. When the former rain was poured out in the book of Acts, Peter's filled with the Spirit, filled with God's presence. Now, we know that Peter was not holy, right? The only person, the only person that I know in Scripture that was rebuked by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Peter was walking in so much presence of God after Pentecost that Ananias and Sapphira come before him and lie. And they drop dead. What do you think it's going to be like in the latter rain?
practice time will be over. When he pours out the latter rain for those that have made themselves ready, that are walking in that kind of holiness, I will go back to my opening thought. I'm not going to have to call down fire from heaven anymore. It's just going to happen. Because the level of his manifest presence in that level of holiness will require sanctification all around us. Let me say it another way. We're grafted into the covenants of promise. Do you realize that those that bless you will be blessed? And those that curse you will be cursed? I see this in my life. When people come against me, it's not because of me. Please don't think it's because of me. I'm not talking about any kind of pride. It's because of my father. If they come against me, they come against my father. And there will be a rebuke. And I see this all the time. And I pray that people don't come against me because they're coming against my father. Imagine what happens and will happen in the latter rain. Those people that are cursing you today, they might drop dead, which is now we need to be praying for them. We need to repent for my impatience. Their time is short. So he's requiring another level of holiness as part of this process. Isaiah 66, verse 2, same thing with our imaginations, level of holiness. For all those things has my hand made. Everything and all those things have been, says Yahuwah. So he's made everything in the past. He's made everything now. He made everything in the future. He's made everything. Everything, everything, everything. He's trying to give us this big scope. But then listen to what he says. He narrows it down. But this is what I'm going to look at. To the poor, to the person that is a poor and of a contrite spirit and that trembles at my word. What he's getting at in the way he's phrasing this is, Isaiah, you don't understand the scope of who I am. I've made everything, but this is the one thing that catches my attention is someone of a poor and contrite spirit and that trembles at my word. All of heaven stops because this is what I look at. Out of all of creation across all timelines and realms, this is what catches my attention. Let's dig into this a little bit more. So this word look, Strong's 5027, Nabat. It means to look intently, to regard with pleasure, to behold, to consider. So I mentioned being in the creation room in my mansion a few days ago. And it's the eye of God. I, it, this, this is what what the revelation I got, I'm looking through his eyes and through his eyes is all of creation. And yet the thing that catches his eye, because it was, it was 
it, it almost felt chaotic, not because it wasn't orderly, because it was so much for, for me to take in. But yet what he's saying is with the so much to take in, the one thing that catches my eye is a poor and contrite spirit. So he looks intently and regards with pleasure those people. The word poor. <clears throat> Strong 6041, ah, knee. It means depressed in mind or circumstances. Really interesting, depressed in mind or circumstances. So my spirit is, because I would hope that I'm catching his attention and I'm one of these people that are poor and contrite spirit, that my spirit is depressed in circumstances. Uh-huh. We're going to get to this. Yes. Contrite. So we're just getting these definitions because there's some more texture and in depth to these words. Contrite. Strong's 5223. Naka. And for those of you that are, are writing all these down, you know, I'll put this in the notes going out to the email. So I just wanted to make sure that you guys know this. Um, so don't feel bad if uh, you can't write down definitely what I'm saying in terms of the words because I'm totally messing up the pronunciation anyway. <laughs> so that's not going to help. So contrite means smitten. Listen to this. Maimed. Maimed. The only other use of the word contrite is referring to the spirit again in Isaiah. So twice in Isaiah, contrite, maimed, maimed spirit. The other two uses, there's four uses total, two with spirit in Isaiah, two referring to the spirit, contrite, maimed spirit. The other two uses are with Saul's son, Mishpotath, who was born maimed. Only four times this word contrite or maimed is used. Twice speaking of the spirit by Isaiah and twice speaking of Saul's son, Mishpatath. Clearly, this does mean maimed. So now that we have these definitions, look, poor, contrite, you're thinking, eh, and this is what I was thinking too. What kind of spirit is this? Is this really me? Am I depressed in circumstances and maimed? But God, I thought you were, you were telling me to build up my spirit. And when I see my spirit, I'm not depressed and I'm not maimed. What's going on? I don't understand. So keep that in mind. Now let's take a look at some other things. And we're going to put this picture together. And all of a sudden, we're going to have to let the Spirit speak to us and not interpret with our souls. Psalm 51. Psalm 51. You guys know this one. People talk about this one all the time. Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of Elohim are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart. That's a different word, contrite, by the way, used with heart. 
O Elohim, you will not despise. So we have a broken spirit and we have a broken contrite heart. So there's a linkage, a linkage between a broken spirit and the heart. Proverbs 15. And I'm just picking out a couple just so you see this linkage between the heart and the spirit, the broken spirit and the broken heart. Proverbs 15, verse 13. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. So here's this linkage again between heart and spirit. Broken heart, broken spirit. Sad heart, sad spirit. One more from Proverbs 17. Verse 20, uh, Proverbs 17, verse 22. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. So now we have a broken spirit, not only tied to the heart, but a broken spirit tied to the flesh. So Dan describes, real important to to keep this in mind, most of you guys know this already, describes the heart, our Dan Duvall, not Daniel the prophet, our Dan Duvall describes the heart as the convergence point of the spirit, soul, and body. The engagement of the spirit comes through the binding of the broken heart. What did did Yeshua say in Isaiah 61.1? I have come for thee to bind the broken hearted. So in my opening conversation, where am I going with this? In the opening conversation, what I said was the heart is the entrance point. It's the throne. It's the convergence of our entire being. And if our heart is denying the spirit from coming in, the spirit is brokenhearted. The heart is actually in a broken state. Our hearts get broken. It will not want to let the spirit in. It starts to separate because of the wounds. Why does it have the wounds? It starts as part of the wounding process are a part of the wounding, you're actually taking in false words, creating vain imaginations, putting constructs in that now create walls and barriers between your heart, which is broken, and your spirit, and they get more and more broken because they're isolated. So now you have someone who cannot reason with truth because their heart will not let their spirit come forward. And keep in mind what I said before, my spirit is before the throne of God. Come boldly before the throne of God. That's my spirit. So if my spirit's before the throne of God, cannot come in through my heart because it's broken, my spirit starts to wane. My spirit is broken. My spirit is maimed. It's not fully functioning. It's crippled. It's not in use. If something is not in use, if you just sit on your couch for a month straight, your muscles start to deteriorate. 
If your spirit is not in use and not active, your spirit starts to deteriorate. It gets weak and flabby. It can be taken as a prisoner. It can't fight back. So a broken heart is related to a broken spirit. But there's more. So let's let's look at Luke 14. Luke 14, I think, is going to open some stuff up and bring some of these things, these concepts together. I haven't gotten to the main point yet. Just trying to get you guys stirred up. Luke chapter 14. We're going to look at this story through a different lens now. Because it has multiple meanings. Multiple meanings. Luke 14, verse 1. And it came to pass, as he, Yeshua, went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day. And they watched him. And behold, there was, behold, there's that word behold, look, gaze upon. There was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. Now I want you guys, I'm going to stop. I want you to think now, as we're reading through this, you're interpreting this in multiple ways. So this is how I read scripture. I'm constantly asking, Spirit, how do you want me to see this? Do you want me to see it just literally? Do you want me to see a hint of something underneath? Do you want me to see this as an allegory? Or is there a deep mystery to it? So look at this, is not just someone who is maimed. Oh, but we just went into a maimed spirit. Look at this as someone who is in the spirit. So this is literally a person who has palsy. This is also hinting at someone's spirit. And Yeshua answering spoke unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace, and he took him, and he healed him, and let him go. Set him free. Like the dove setting free, the spirit. His spirit now is free. He's spiritually born again. And answered them, saying, verse 5, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him these things. So you see that he's also talking about the spirit being maimed in the spirit. Also, he's talking about the soul. Because we know that the heart can be broken. So he's talking about many things as an example here, right in this story. Literally a man, also at a hint, the soul and the heart, at a hint, the spirit. He keeps going, verse 7. It gets even more telling. And when he put forth a parable to those that were bidden or invited, when he remarked, so this is, this is a continuation of what just happened. This instance just happened. Now he's going to go deeper through a parable of what really just happened. He's saying, guys, 
It was more than just someone I healed. Let me tell you about it. Here's the parable. Verse eight. When you are called, invited to a wedding. Oh boy. You're, all of a sudden, your, your alarm bell should be going off. We're talking about the wedding of Yeshua. Called, chosen, faithful. Ding, 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 ding. That's what he's talking about. When you are called to a wedding, don't sit down in the highest room, lest a more honorable person than you is called of him, the wedding host, the father. And he that called you and him comes saying to you, give this man place for you have shame to take the lower place. Meaning, when you're called to the wedding in the spirit, don't think of yourself highly. Think of yourself as whatever he tells you to sit, wherever you're supposed to go, think of yourself foundationally as a servant. You sit at the lowest place. And you regard the wedding host, the father, and the bridegroom with great honor. Think about Mary at his feet, not at the table, not even at his face, mouth to mouth, at his feet. Verse 10, but when you are called, go invited, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he invites you comes, he that invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, higher position than servant now. Go up higher. Then you shall have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with you at the banquet table at the feast. For whosoever exalts himself shall be abased or made lower. And he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Then when he said to them that invited him, so he's talking in the natural. She was talking the natural to the Pharisee that invited him to his house. When you make a dinner or a supper, call not your friends, nor your brothers, nor your kinsmen, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you. And a recompense is made. But when you make a feast, listen to this now. Call the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. He's talking about things of the spirit of the wedding feast. He's talking about the spirits that are maimed, that are contrite, that are broken. That's who he's talking about. And you shall be blessed, for they cannot recompense you. For you shall be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Meaning those spirits are not going to give honor back to you. Not because they don't want to. It's, it's, a, it's a heavenly exchange. You're looking for earthly exchanges here. I'm talking about things of the spirit. I'm talking about the kingdom of the heaven. I'm talking about the wedding of the lamb. You need to invite the poor and the contrite, the maimed spirits. So do you want to be a poor and contrite spirit? I mean, I do, but I don't understand still why. 
Why am I poor in state and maimed? And I'm seeing this in the, in the parable that he's talking about, but I don't get it. Okay, so now, this is Todd's thought on this. This is where I think Isaiah is going with all of this about the poor and contrite spirit. You guys are probably thinking, Todd, I don't understand. This is a little confusing. This is what I'm thinking. What if in all of creation, remember he said, he's in, in verse two, he said in Isaiah 16, all creation is before me, but I behold you. What if in all creation, our spirits, this kind of goes to Dan's comment about the, the army, took on assignments that were lowly to how we were created. Now we know from that teaching that there are some people that actually took on assignments to be sacrifices. But those that their spirits engage and coordinate and break through a broken heart so that they can be now alive. Their assignments actually started off much, much lower so that they could be raised up at the banquet table according to this parable. Meaning my spirit, before I came onto earth, was incredibly glorious and is. But I took on an assignment that was so lowly that the only place directionally for me was up. So in God's mercy, think about it this way. When he created Adam and Eve, they were in perfect harmony with God. Almost the only direction they could go is down. Out of perfection. They were in perfection in the garden. They can only go down. They were seated at the high place, the high chair at the wedding, and they were removed. In God's mercy, he does us, he take, positions us, and we're in agreement with this before we come. In the opposite, we start off low. So we can be elevated. We also start off low to allow our hearts to coordinate with our spirit and hopefully allow our spirit in because our hearts are broken. Our hearts are low. Our hearts have been beaten up by the world. Our hearts have a limited scope of everything. So therefore our spirits have to be in a lowly seat. So this has multiple meanings of what it means to be contrite and maimed. So when I think about my spirit being maimed, 
my spirit is held back tremendously just to be interacting with my heart. My spirit is actually incredibly humble to be working with my heart, to even allow my heart to associate with my spirit. So my spirit is constantly pulling back, pulling back, pulling back, pulling back, impatiently waiting for my heart to work with it. Isn't that what Yeshua does with our hearts? He doesn't come in unless our hearts say yes. And then he comes in in the scope and magnitude that our hearts are in agreement It's the same thing with our spirits. Going back to imagination. So depending on the construct of the imagination of the heart, you're going to have a scope of God. You're also going to have a scope of your spirit. So our spirits are lowly. They are confined and limited to the point of being maimed by our own hearts. Even those that are great in spirit are still limited by the vain imaginations of their hearts. I am limited by the constructs that I have in my heart of my spirit because it's also constructs in my heart of limiting God. I think last time, for those of you that remember, um, and maybe the past two times, because I opened up this way in prayer as well today, I have a throne over the earth. My dominion is over the earth. And over the last couple months, I have been taking back and reclaiming the entire earth. Is that too big for my spirit? All I'm doing is I'm asking for his footstool. I'm not even asking for his throne. I'm just asking for the footstool. You don't think I have access to his footstool? You don't think my spirit can move around his footstool and reposition it? That's what Isaiah 66 is saying. But we maim our spirit because of the vain imaginations in our heart to limit the scope of who we are and who he is. We got to blow this thing up. How did 12 disciples overturn the entire world? Isn't all, aren't all things possible through Yeshua? All? Is there anything left that's not all? So this is what he looks at. He looks at the spirits that are limited and are maimed and are trying to break through your own heart and coordinate with your own heart. He really pays attention to those. He doesn't pay attention to the the spirits that are boastful because the spirits that are boastful are probably being driven by the enemy because the enemy could care less about your heart. The enemy wants to crush your heart. Your own spirit does not want to crush your heart. Your own spirit wants to coordinate with your heart and patiently wait for your heart, just like Yeshua. 
So that's the convergence of us. We're made in God's image. What's the convergence point of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? If the convergence point of our beings, spirit, soul, and body, is our heart, what's the convergence point of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Isaiah 11. Let's take a look at that. I'll take a look at another passage. We can see a lot of passages, but you guys are going to get this really fast. You probably already know what this is, but it's going to be really, really clear. Isaiah 11, verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch. This is the Shema of the menorah shall grow out of its roots. And then we know the next verse, verse two, are the seven spirits of God. But the root of it is this root or stem from Jesse. So the core root, the center of the seven spirits, the center of the Holy Spirit is Yeshua. John 1. We'll just hit two verses. You guys already know this, but now it's going to be so clear, but it's all over scripture. John 1, chap, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. No man has seen Yahuwah at any time except the only begotten Son. So think about this. This is an interface. What's the convergence point of the Father? The Son, which is the bosom or the heart of the Father. He has declared him. So you have Yeshua being the center of the Holy Spirit, and you have Yeshua being the heart, so the heart of the Father. Yeshua is the heart of God. Yeshua is the convergence point. That's why all things go through our intercessor, our great high priest, Yeshua. He's the convergence point of Elohim. He's the door, the convergence point. He's the life. He's the convergence point. He's the light. He's the convergence point. Make sense? There is only one go-between between man and God. The convergence point, Yeshua. And what does it say about Yeshua? He comes into Jerusalem riding a donkey, lowly, contrite, maimed, contained, way beneath his position. For he was made lower than the angels. Same thing with us. Same thing with us. This is what Isaiah 66 is getting at. So back to Isaiah 66. I really thought I was going to get through five verses today. It looks like we're getting through two. That's not good. We're, Anne trembles at my word. <laughs> um, 
I'm gonna put, I'll, I'll say something about tremble um, in my notes. Verse three, Isaiah 66, verse three. So we have this contrast now with the poor and contrite spirit. That's who Yahweh looks at in the holes with pleasure. Then verse three. So this is a contrast, someone else. He that kills an ox as if he slew a man. He that sacrifices a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offers an oblation as if he offered swine's blood. He that burns incense as if he blessed an idol. Okay, what is he getting at? He's talking about those that have built houses for him, have built false contracts for him. Those are the religious. Those that have built their construct around sacrificing. It's like killing a dog. Those that religiously offer up tithes and offerings as if you're offering up pig's blood. He hates it. Hates it. That's a false construct. He hates religion. So much so, this is the contrast. These are who I love. These are who I hate. He didn't even mention like the offspring of Satan here. He mentioned the religious. That's the first thing out of his mouth. He says, yes, they have chosen their own ways, their own souls delighted in their abominations. They've created vain imaginations of who I am and who they are. I hate them. And there's this hint of the word tremble, and I, I'm, I, I do need to go back to it a little bit. The word tremble there, by the way, the first mention of that word tremble in, in Hebrew goes back to Jacob and Esau. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Why? Because Jacob's spirit was maimed and poor. Esau's spirit was prideful and was trying to take the higher seat. He hates that. Even though they came from the same womb, they are not of the same spirit. This is another thing that we have to consider. The enemy wants to divide us on so many layers. And in the world today, the enemy is dividing us on everything that is external, everything that is natural. Economically, racially, age, gender. You realize that has nothing to do with the things of the spirit? Nothing. That's a frame. What God is looking at is, is that person of a poor and contrite spirit? That's the one I love. And by the way, your family is not necessarily your family. Your family in heaven is your family. They were your family for ages before, and they will be your family for ages after. You are on assignment right now in your blood family, but that's not your family family. Now, I'm not trying to diminish your blood relationships because that's part of your assignment, but your true family are those that are in the kingdom. And what Satan's trying to do is he's trying to maim and break our hearts so that our spirits are more maimed and broken. And he does that through division. 
If he can sew that word in, that logos, then we build a construct and imagination in our mind. Now, all of a sudden, not only have we broken relationship with our true family, we've broken relationship with our spirit family. That's religion. This is, this is how you get better than one another. I offer this sacrifice, you don't. I believe in this, you don't. God hates that. Verse four, he even says this. I also, because they do these things and because they have listened to the wrong word and built up a construct out of pride, most of our constructs actually come out of pride. This doesn't make any sense. So we limit God out of pride. Well, the reason that we limit God out of pride is because we want to be bigger than God. That's one of the biggest issues with limiting God is if we can limit him in our own minds, we're actually lying to ourselves by limiting God so that we can actually be in control. That's the opposite of a poor and contrite spirit. That is a prideful spirit. If you have an unlimited view of God, how can you be prideful? I can't be prideful. God keeps getting bigger and bigger in my mind. Verse four, I will also choose their delusions or the devices. What the device? It's the same thing in the construct of an imagination. Now he's going to choose the imaginations that are going to be the consequence of their imaginations. And I will bring their own fears upon them. Because when I called, none answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes and chose that which I did not not delight in. He's speaking to the broken hearts that are now out of pride, constructing new places. They are not coordinating with their spirits anymore. They have shunned their spirits. They have shunned the creation. They have shunned who he is. They have created limited, a limiting view of God. It goes all the way back to the first commandment. Love God with all of your strength, heart, and mind, and do not create an image of him. So he's going to say, okay, if you're going to create an image, and this is why Paul talks about this in Romans 1, you have created vain images of me like creation. So therefore, I'm going to give you over to a retrobate mind. You are going to reap what you sow. So now I'm going to feed your own delusion even more. That's why there's going to be a separation between the wheat and the tares, a separation between the sheep and the goats, a separation between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, more and more and more. There's going to be a separation between holy and unholy. It could be that the next thing that we get into is holiness. I'm telling you guys, this is heavy on my heart. We are going to have to up our game in holiness. This is really serious. There's, it's going to be filled with joy and filled with fun. And there's all this goodness and love and peace. All of this is part of God. 
but the underlying root of who he is is holy. Moses' first encounter with God is take off your shoes, man. You're on holy ground. Israel's first encounter with God at Mount Sinai is three days, sanctify yourselves because you are about to meet God. We want the latter rain. We got to get ready. This is also why he said, poor contrite spirit and those that tremble at my word. Tremble. Absolutely fearful. I am, I am trembling. I'm reverent being in front of you guys. I really am. I tremble and I'm reverent in prayer. If you were to continue to read on Isaiah, I just want to share this with you and then, then we'll be done and I'll close in prayer. When we look at the rest of Isaiah 66, this is what he's getting at. I just want to pick out a couple verses just to give you a preview of where Isaiah is going with this. Isaiah 66 verse 14 when you see this, and we'll get into that study probably next time, what the this is. But when you see this, what we're about to study soon, your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like herbs. This is the good part. And the hand of Yahweh shall be known toward his servants. That's us. But now listen. And his indignation toward his enemies. Verse 15, for behold, Yahweh will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by the sword of Yahuwah, he will plead with all flesh. It's like a last chance for mercy. And the slain of Yahuwah shall be many. Game time is over. Verse 24, this is the very last verse of Isaiah. I'm skipping over a whole bunch. I'm just giving you a little preview. So this isn't in the full context. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Period. He closes the scroll. In the millennial kingdom, dead bodies will be filled, filled the earth with people that have transgressed against God as a reminder. That they encountered his holiness and were not found holy. They were found wanting. That's how Isaiah closes this. So it's serious. There's a tremendous rejoicing and there's tremendous holiness. And at the end, in Revelation 19, we're going to say, true and righteous are your judgments, O God. And keep in mind, this is coming from a God who's more patient, more forgiving 
than we can even imagine. And some of you have suffered through that kind of stuff. Really, God, you're that patient with the people around me? I wish you weren't, but he is. He's the one that's going to execute judgment. So I tremble when people come against me, when they come against my family, because I know the consequences are going to be severe. Not because anything I desire for them, but because I'm his child. I'm his beloved son. You don't think dad's going to protect me? He might do it in a time frame I don't want him to. It might take him a long time. It may not be in a manner that I've created in my own vain imagination, but he's coming. And I'm not going to say the details of this, but I've had two situations in the last two months that it has been a direct result of two people coming against me and both severe consequences in their health. And I didn't even do anything. This is holiness. For the sake of people around me, part of my prayer is I block all fleshly prayers and unholy prayers. I'm not even afraid at fleshly and holy prayer, unholy prayers coming at me anymore from other people. I'm actually afraid for them to send them. I'm afraid for my enemies. I'm not afraid of my enemies. I'm afraid for them. That's the latter rain. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power and the authority that you have. And the power and authority that you have given to your son, who is the word. For when your word goes forth, it does not return void. When your word goes into the hearts of your people, it brings forth much fruit and much glory. And this is the generation that will seek your face. This is the generation that is bringing alignment to heaven and earth. This is the generation that is preparing the hearts of your people to receive Zion. This is the generation of the, the people that are reclaiming the earth so that Zion would be birthed through it. And woe to them that stand in your way. As Moses cried out for Israel, Father, blot my name out of the books in their place. For when your wrath is unleashed, it goes forward like a mighty fire, like a mighty wind. And who is going to quench it? But we are thankful that we can call upon your name to receive grace and mercy. And like David was presented with Three consequences of his failure to obey your word and not to count Israel. He said, lest I fall in the hands of men, I would rather fall in the mercy of Yahuwah. So we plead with you mercifully to save the lost, to bring them to a place where they would hear the word. Hear the cries of Zion for her kids and the lost sheep of the house of Israel.
that you would cast forth the nets of Yahuwah and bring him to a place to hear the word for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we declare to all the human spirits that are maimed, that are broken, that are dealing with broken hearted souls. That those hearts would be remitted of sin. That there would be a calmness to be able to hear your voice. Right now, I declare into the earth and into the heavens and under the earth that there is a stillness in the hearts of those that are crying out for you to hear your voice, that they would hear it. I release the channels of your voice throughout the heavens and the earth now, that your voice would be vibrating in those hearts, that the spirits that are maimed, that they would start to strengthen and rejoice and start to coordinate with those brokenhearted people. For you said that the spirit of Yahuwah is upon me to preach the gospel, to bind the brokenhearted. So this day we loose the angels to assist with the binding of the brokenhearted. And Father, we pour the balm of Gilead upon their hearts that they would be calm that they would be still and be able to hear your voice. For we know when your voice is spoken and is heard, that there is life, that it is the door, that is the convergence point. It is the opening of your heart to them. So we place our realms all around the earth and we take our realm and we interface it with the heart of Yeshua. And may the earth feel and experience your heartbeat today. We thank you for all that you have done for us, that you have cleansed us from all unrighteousness, that you have cleansed us from all sin, transgression, and iniquity, that you have caused the angel of death to pass over us, that you have set us free, that you have placed clean garments of righteousness upon us and a crown of glory upon our heads, for you have called us overcomers, and we will finish the race so that we will be declared good and faithful servants. We cherish and honor the lowly place and serve you with all of our strength, all of our hearts, and all of our soul. And we cling to your feet. We thank you for beholding us with pleasure and giving us your spirit. Continue to give us strength and endurance in these times that are around us that we have not only strength and endurance for ourselves, but we would be overflowing in your spirit toward others. For you have sent us to be in the world and placed us on top of a hill that we would be a city of light, that we would be a city of refuge that people would be able to come to and that we would always be ready with food and shelter and kindness to receive people. May our hearts be set that when you come, when you turn everything around, when you come in suddenly, and suddenly God showed up. 
that we are not ready with told you so's, but we are ready to receive people with joy. Just like the father received the prodigal son and, and built a, a, a banquet feast for him and clothed him with new garments of righteousness and put a signet ring on his finger and rejoiced. May we be in a position of rejoicing when our prodigals come home. So we lift them all up now, Father, as they are receiving the heartbeat of Yeshua. Bless this time. Bless your word. Bless your name. We wave the banner of Yahuwah Nissi amongst the earth and in the heavens and under the earth. We loose the angels of victory that they would shout victory, victory, victory and surround us with songs of deliverance. Blow the trumpets in Zion for the rejoicing of the lamb is about to happen. We are preparing for the wedding feast and may we get our garments ready. May our lights be filled with oil. So Father, produce olives within us, within our spirits and squeeze out the oil that we would be oily priests before you. Ever burning. For you are the origin of our light. You are the origin of our fire. Pray this all in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church. You can check out our institute. We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more.